Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Counterculture, a study of the Sermon on the Mount. Here's Pastor Nick. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray. And if you would open up with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Today's message comes from a series that we did in which we studied through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 through 7. So we're going to get into that, looking at chapter 5, verses 17 through 30. So please bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And we pray that tonight as we give our attention to it, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would um, change the way that we think, Lord, change the way that we feel, Lord, as as you uh, gear our affections towards yours, Lord, that you bring us into harmony and alignment with your heart. So we pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts and in our minds today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Sermon on the Mount was a teaching that Jesus gave early on in his ministry to a group of what you might call prospective disciples. These were people who had heard about Jesus, um, and they had traveled, some of them more than 100 miles by foot, to find out for themselves if the things that they had heard about Jesus were actually true. And so Jesus led this large crowd of people who had come because they were interested in him. He led them up on a hillside there near the Sea of Galilee, and he led them up. Why on this hillside? Because because he stood at the top of the hill and then they would be down on the hill and the, the projection would help them to hear uh, the, in a large crowd the things that he had to say. And he spoke to them there in this place about who he was, what he was about, and what it would mean for them, what it would look like for them to be disciples of him. And what Jesus presented to these people in the Sermon on the Mount could be called kind of the foundational principles and understanding of what it means to be a Christian. And as we study this section, what we find is that to be a Christian is to live in a way that is radically countercultural. Countercultural. But Jesus promises that this countercultural way of following him is the way that will lead to true and ultimate happiness and fulfillment, both in this life and in the life to come. The title of today's message is Getting to the Heart of the Matter. In verses 17 and 18, here's what we read. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. The law and the prophets was the common way of speaking about the Old Testament in Jesus' time. They call it the Law and the Prophets because, of course, they wouldn't call it the Old Testament because they didn't have a, a New Testament yet at that point. So they called it the Law and the Prophets, which are kind of the two main features or sections of the Old Testament. Now, amongst some people, there can be this assumption that when Jesus came along, he taught something that was different than what the Old Testament taught. And you, you might even say yourself, well, well, isn't that true? Isn't that exactly what Jesus did? I mean, doesn't the Old Testament teach a different way of coming to God and being saved than the New Testament does? I mean, did, didn't Jesus come along and override 
the Old Testament and replace it with something new, a new way of approaching God by grace rather than the old way of approaching God by religious rituals and rules. And you might, might say, I mean, Jesus and the New Testament, they seem so focused on love and grace, whereas the Old Testament seems so full of rules and judgment. I mean, isn't what Jesus taught somehow different than what the Old Testament teaches? Well, what Jesus is telling us here is no. No, and he says, no, I don't want anyone to think that I am opposed to the Old Testament. I did not come to get rid of the Old Testament and replace it with something new. Rather, I have come to fulfill the Old Testament. And he says, truly I say to you, not an iota or a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. What Jesus is telling us here is that the only problem with the Old Testament is that people have misunderstood it and misinterpreted it. People have misunderstood it and misinterpreted it. But there's no problem with the Old Testament itself. And now Jesus is going to, in the, in the following verses, correct some of these wrong assumptions that people have about the Old Testament. And he's going to show us how we should properly think about the law and the prophets, the Old Testament. And he's going to get to the heart of the matter, the heart of the Old Testament scriptures. So first, in verses 17 and 18, Jesus talks to us about his relationship with the Old Testament. And then in verses 19 and 20, Jesus talks to his disciples about their relationship with the Old Testament. And Jesus uses this, this way of speaking here that is very unique. You're going to notice in this section, he says this phrase, truly, I say to you. Now, there, there's no evidence from other teachers in Jesus' day or before who used this kind of phrase. The prophets, if you remember the Old Testament, they often use this phrase, thus saith, saith the Lord, or this is what the Lord says. But Jesus says, I say to you. Do you notice a difference there in authority? It's something that the people in Jesus' time absolutely would have noticed because it says, actually, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, notice what it says in chapter 7, verses 28 and 29. It says, The crowds were astonished at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority not as their scribes. The scribes, by the way, were the theologians of that day and of that culture. They were experts in the scriptures. And the scribes, when they taught, they would say things like, God's word says this, or Moses says this, or Rabbi so-and-so says this. In other words, they didn't speak on their own authority. They, they referred to the authority of someone else. But here's Jesus, and he speaks in a way that's different. He speaks on his own authority. Don't, don't you think it's fascinating that Jesus never said, thus saith the Lord? Did you notice that? Jesus never says, thus saith the Lord. Some people want to, to regard Jesus as merely one prophet among many prophets who have lived, one holy person among many holy people who have lived. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't speak in the way that any other prophet ever did. Other prophets said, this is what God says. Jesus said, this is what I say. It's a remarkable little signature, a little hint of Jesus' authority and Jesus' deity. Jesus was speaking on his own authority, but notice this. He wasn't speaking in contradiction to the word of God or the Old Testament. Rather, he is full of reverence for the word of God and the Old Testament. You know, Jesus didn't come and just rip up the Old Testament and say, forget that stuff, right? I'm here to give you something better, something new, something different. No, he said, 
I'm here to fulfill the law. And that's exactly what he did. Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets in every way possible. Think about it. The Old Testament has doctrinal teachings, for example. It's full of commandments. Jesus fulfilled all of the commandments through perfect obedience. It's been said that Jesus only added one thing to the law and the prophets that had never been there before, and that was perfect obedience. That's the only thing he added to it. Never before had anyone lived a life of perfect obedience to the law of God, but Jesus did. Jesus was the first and only person to ever fulfill all of the moral and legal demands of the law of God. Also, the Old Testament is full of predictive prophecies. That's another feature of the Old Testament about the Messiah, about the Savior, the Redeemer, the King who God promised to send into the world. The Old Testament is full of symbols and pictures, some of which don't make a lot of sense on their own. You, you read them and you say, what is this? But Jesus, as the Messiah, as the substance to which those pictures and symbols and prophecies pointed, he comes and he fulfills all of those things. He is the reality behind the shadow. He's the fulfillment of the symbols. He is the very thing to which all of the law and the prophets talked about and pointed to. And what that means for you and me is this. In order to properly read the Old Testament, you need to understand something. And that's this, that all of the Bible from the first page to the last page, is all about Jesus. It's ultimately all about him. It's the story of Jesus. Jesus is the heart of the Old Testament. He is the hope of the Old Testament, the hope of a Redeemer, the Savior, the perfect sacrifice, because the law of God proves to us beyond any shadow of a doubt that we have sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard. And therefore, we're, we're subject to God's judgment. And therefore, we desperately need a savior. We desperately need atonement. And all of the animal sacrifices in the world could never be enough. What we need is a savior, the true savior. And Jesus now stands before this crowd, and he tells them, all of the law and the prophets, it will all be fulfilled in me and by me, down to the very smallest detail. Every iota, every dot will be perfectly fulfilled in me. Even the penalty of the law, I have come to fulfill even that itself. You know, an iota and a dot, these, uh, as some translations like this one call them, uh, some call them a jot and a tittle. These were kind of the smallest marks of punctuation. This would be, in our modern English vernacular, it would be essentially saying, every T will be crossed, every I will be dotted, even the lowercase j's, we're going to dot those too, right? Down to the smallest detail, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, the Old Testament scriptures. And guys, this is why I I love to read and study the Old Testament. This is why I love to teach the Old Testament here at Whitefields, because it is amazing to see how every part of it was orchestrated and designed by God for hundreds, even thousands of years before Jesus came into the world, and yet it all points to him and was fulfilled by him. And so the Old Testament and the New Testament, don't ever think that they are at odds with each other. Rather, they are two parts of the same story. They are two parts of one whole. I like how J.C. Ryle put it. He put it this way. The Old Testament is the gospel in the bud. The New Testament is the gospel in full flower. Hey everyone, Pastor Nick here, inviting you to come out on Sunday, November 14th 
to Whitefields Community Church, we will have special guest Dominic Doan with us. Dominic is a pastor, and he is the author of the book, When Faith Fails, Finding God in the Shadow of Doubt. So if you or anyone you know ever struggles with doubt, or if you have questions about deconstruction or deconstructing faith, this is for you. Come out and join us Sunday, November 14th, at any of our three services at 8 a.m., 9.30, or 11 a.m., and invite a friend or family member to join you as we pursue faith in the face of doubts. Now back to the rest of this message. That's Jesus' relationship with the Old Testament, but now Jesus is going to talk to the disciples about their relationship with the Old Testament. Look at what it says in verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says to be a Christian, to be a disciple of me, it doesn't mean to be nonchalant about sin. No, the greatest in my kingdom, he says, is the person who pursues holiness and encourages others to do the same. And he says this, I don't want you to use the grace of God as an excuse to sin against the commandments of God. No, he says the person who does that will be considered least in the kingdom of God. Obedience to God's commands is part of living a life that is submitted to Jesus as Lord. But then Jesus said something really incredible in verse 20, something that would have been absolutely shocking to everyone sitting there and listening. Look at what he says. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I wish I could have been there to see the faces, to see the reactions on people's faces when Jesus said this. Because here's why. Do you know how devoted the scribes and the Pharisees were to keeping the law of God? The Pharisees in particular. The Pharisees dedicated their entire lives to observing the law of God down to the very smallest details. They had gone through the Old Testament and they calculated that there were 248 commandments and 365 prohibitions. That, uh, and their goal of their lives was to keep every single one of these down to the smallest detail. They were so concerned that they might accidentally break a commandment that they went to wild extremes. They would tithe not only from their income, they would even tithe from their spices. They would tithe from the food in their pantry. This would be like if you went to the store and you bought like a box of wheat thins. Then you came home and you're like, well, I should tithe. So you pour out your wheat thins on the counter. You count them up. There's 87 wheat thins. So you say, okay. Eight of them I separate for God. But then you say, wait, that's not 10%. So you get out your ruler and you measure seven-tenths of one more wheat thin, right? And you break it exactly right so you can be sure to give God 8.7 wheat thins so that you can fulfill the law of God by giving a tenth. That's the kind of thing we're talking about that the Pharisees were doing to keep the law of God down to the smallest point. This same heart of devotion, by the way, exists even today in modern Jews. I read a story about something that happened a couple of years ago in an Orthodox neighborhood in Jerusalem. This apartment building caught fire. And well, you might say, OK, no big deal. You're going to call the fire department. Well, there's a problem. It was the Sabbath. And so these people weren't sure if it would be OK to make a telephone call to the fire department on the Sabbath because that would break an electrical current that was already in use. So, so they, they said, OK, well, we can't 
call the fire department because that would be breaking the Sabbath, maybe. In general, observant Jews, they, they consider it forbidden to use a telephone on the Sabbath. And so it, they couldn't just walk to the fire department or drive a car because walking that far would constitute work, and driving a car would cause combustion in an engine, so that definitely wouldn't work. So they decided we need to go check with the rabbi to ask him if it's okay to make a phone call to the fire department. And in the, the 30 minutes it took, roughly, to get the rabbi, to go to the rabbi and ask him the, the answer to their question, he said, yes, call the fire department. The fire had already spread to two more apartment buildings. It's that kind of scrupulous observance of the law that was at the, the heart of the scribes and the Pharisees, down to the minutest detail possible. They wanted to obey the law of God. So, but what does Jesus say? Check it out. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and scribes, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's why I wish I could have been there to see their faces of these people when Jesus said that. Because every one of them, you know what they would have thought in that instant? They would have thought, well, then I'm definitely going to hell. I, it's no question. There is no way that I could ever be more righteous than a scribe or a Pharisee. If they're not good enough to go to heaven, then nobody is. And that's exactly the point that Jesus was trying to make. He is challenging the way that they think about righteousness and about old, the Old Testament and about the commands of God. And this is an extremely important point here in our day, just as it was in their day. You know, statistics show that more than half of Americans believe that they will go to heaven. And the reason, the most common answer for why they believe they will go to heaven is, you probably already know, because I'm a good person. So people have been polled on this, and they all say the same thing. Because I'm a good person. I watched a documentary a while back about human trafficking. They interviewed this guy who's a human trafficker. Like, that's his job. He's a human trafficker. He exploits other people and basically keeps them as slaves and abuses them. And you know what this man said? I consider myself a good person. Of course he does. Most people consider themselves a good person. The question is this. How good do you have to be to be considered good enough before God? How good do you have to be, in other words, to go to heaven? What Jesus was saying to these people, he said this. Listen, who are the goodest people that you know of? Well, in that society, it was the scribes and Pharisees. No question. So I don't know who it would be in our society. Who, who are the people that people consider the goodest of the good? Is it the, the Pope, Mother Teresa, the Dalai Lama, Gandhi? I don't know. But to put it in modern terms, Jesus would say, imagine the, the goodest person you can imagine. And then you have to be better than that person because even they are not good enough to get into heaven. If you were to say that, many people would say, well, if those people aren't good enough to get into heaven, well, then who is? If those people aren't good enough, then, then probably nobody is, certainly not me. And that is exactly the conclusion that Jesus wanted these people to come to. That's exactly the point he's trying to make. And that is one of the fundamental aspects of understanding the Old Testament and the commandments of God, and is a fundal, fundamental understanding of Christianity. No one, even the best, cannot be good enough in their religious observance or their good works towards others to be justified before God. 
What Jesus was telling his disciples and what Jesus is telling us is that we need a different kind of righteousness, a different kind of righteousness. There's no way that you could be more righteous than the scribes and Pharisees in their kind of righteousness, which came from obeying God's rules. But you can be more righteous if you have a different kind of righteousness, a righteousness that you don't earn, but a righteousness that is gifted to you by God and received by faith. Because there was a man named Jesus who said these things, who actually was more righteous than the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus Christ himself, the one who perfectly obeyed and fulfilled the law, the only truly righteous person who has ever lived. And the great message of Christianity is that you can have the righteousness of Jesus credited to your account, gifted to you by God, and you receive it by faith. In Jesus Christ, you can be actually more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees. In Jesus Christ, you are more righteous than the scribes and Pharisees. Why? Because of your perfect track record? No, because of the righteousness of Jesus that has been accounted to you, gifted to you, put in your account, and that you receive by faith. See, what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to shake up and challenge the common notions that people have of what it means to be a quote-unquote good person. Because when you get down to the root, when you get down to the heart of every matter, which Jesus is going to give us some examples here in the following verses, what you realize is that every good person has fallen short. No one's really good at the end of the day. We're all spiritually bankrupt before God. And that's why we're so incredibly thankful that Jesus offers us a different kind of righteousness, one that's not based on how good we are or our accomplishments, but one that's based on his righteousness gifted to us and received by faith. That is the only kind of righteousness that can get a person to heaven. And now Jesus is going to talk about the heart of various matters. From verses 21 to 48, Jesus is going to use six examples. We're not going to get through all of them in this study, but in these verses, verses 21 through 48 of chapter 5, Jesus gives six examples to show us that God is not only interested in our actions, but it also in our hearts and our motivations. And therefore, to live for God, to be a disciple of Jesus, doesn't only mean rigid outward conformity to his commands, it actually means more than that. It's actually an issue of the heart. And more than anything, God wants you to give him your heart. By the heart, of course, Jesus is talking about the core, the essence of your being. He doesn't merely desire outward obedience from us. He wants your heart. He wants all of you. So let's take a look at verses 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the fire of hell. This structure, by the way, is going to be repeated in each of these six sections. We're going to look at the first two of them in our study today. And that, that structure is this. You have heard it said, but I say to you. 
Now keep in mind that in Jesus' day, for the most part, people had not really read or studied the Bible for themselves. Many people in that day were illiterate, and the scriptures were written on these large scrolls that were very expensive. And they were especially expensive because they all had to be copied by hand. And so even if you could read, almost nobody owned a private copy of the scriptures that they could read and study for themselves at home. So almost all the people they, they would have to go to synagogue, and there in the synagogue, they would hear the scriptures read to them, but it wouldn't be all of the scriptures. It would be a selected portion of the scriptures read aloud and then expounded upon by a rabbi. And that's why Jesus says here, not you have read for yourselves, but he says you have heard it said. Now, this is an interesting point because it's no small thing for us. We need to value it, I think, and we need to see this. That is no small thing that we live in a time where we have the ability to read the Bible for ourselves. We have stacks of Bibles all over the place, dozens of Bible translations. We have free apps on our phones where we can read the Bible at any time. If these people could have read the scriptures for themselves, things might have been different. The reason for their lack of knowledge and understanding about the heart of God, at least in part, was because they were dependent on the teachings of the scribes and the Pharisees. History shows us, by the way, what incredible blessings have come into the world through simple people being able to read the Bible for themselves. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live-streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. 